Welcome to Community of Resistance, the podcast where I speak with people who work, do the work of resisting the empire to try to give people who are interested in activism and advocacy the kinds of practical tools they need to pursue justice and peace. On today's show, I'm pleased to speak to Jill Morey. Jill moved to Louisville in 2010 due to a job move for her husband, Tom, after raising a family and living in Maine for 20 years. She has a background in education and social work and an interest in environmental activism. She worked on Barack Obama's first and second presidential campaigns and campaigned for Hillary Clinton in 2016. I have experience working with Jill on Louisville's version of the Women's March, which happened the day after the presidential inauguration in January of 2017, which we called here in Louisville the Rally to Move Forward. At that rally, over 5,000 people showed up. It was an enormous success. And I wanted to talk to Jill about how she went about organizing such an important event in the life of our community. So welcome, Jill. Thanks, Derek. It's good to be here. Well, let me start by asking you, where did the inspiration to do the rally to move forward come from? Obviously, the election in uh, of... Donald Trump in 2016 was a um, big um, deal in a lot of people's lives. I woke up the morning after the election when none of us expected that outcome and uh, felt like, um, and I've heard a lot of people refer to this, almost felt like I felt the day after 9-11. It was like something had shifted in the whole world and it was, it was a huge, it felt traumatic and, uh, you know, I almost, I don't think I got mm-hmm. out of bed that whole day. Um, and then as that week went on, I think a lot of us walked around in a fog, a lot of us who did not support Donald Trump. And, um, I started to feel this, um, restlessness, this urgency, right. this need to do something. Um, and, um, then I started hearing about the women's March in DC And, you know, I just started thinking to myself, you know, wouldn't it be awesome to have something here in Louisville that would coincide with that? And wouldn't it be amazing if that was happening all over the world? And I'm sure there were many people feeling the same place um, all over the world. And so so it was that kind of trauma um, that got me thinking, well, maybe something should happen here, not thinking that I would be necessarily the one making it happen, but... Um, and so I, I happened to be, um, walking around my neighborhood uh-huh. and stopped in at a friend's house and kind of shared that idea with her that wouldn't it be neat if there was something in Louisville? And she said, yeah, that, I think that would be a great idea. And she said, in fact, um, I have a bunch of friends that I think might be interested too. Why don't we have coffee next week and talk about the idea? So that's kind of how... Um, the, the seed got planted, um, and then I had coffee with um, six women the following week, and and shared that sense. Um, and they all said, "Yeah, we we think that 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 would be a really great thing to have this happen here." And at that point, I said, "You know, I have no experience in doing anything like this. I really don't want to be a leader. Uh, I'll be a good foot soldier." If somebody else wants to take the ball and <laughs> and roll with it, and uh, no, they all quickly said, "Yeah." They all quickly, but said, nobody did. Jill, 
this was your idea. You should do this. And I said, oh, I just don't know if I can do this. And um, within, and in, so this is, you know, um, the end of November, actually beginning of December, the rally in Washington is happening inauguration weekend. So we're talking about six weeks, basically. And um, so these people said, no, you, you've got to do this. And I said, well, let me think about mm -hmm. it. And um, we just started talking more and more. And luckily, um, five out of the six women besides me in that um, first coffee meeting were so um, enthusiastic and motivated that um, it just became um, an organizing group very quickly um, to create something on that inauguration weekend. At that point, we really didn't even know what we were creating. I want to be clear here. You have never, you had, at that time, you had never organized anything like this before. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. When I moved to Louisville, I was thinking about this a little bit ago. When I moved to Louisville, I did get involved with an organization, another uh, a beginning organization called 15,000 Farmers that was created by Gary Heine and his partner, Valerie, um, and to help people um, grow food in their own yards, basically. And so mm -hmm. I loved that um, mission and jumped in and became a volunteer coordinator for that group pretty quickly. So I had some experience um, organizing volunteers toward a particular mission, but it wasn't a political thing at all. And it wasn't a rally. It was an ongoing organization. Right. Well, what made you think that you could do this? I mean, that's a really big step to take, right? Well, okay. So, um, when I said, no, I don't want to be the leader on this. And, and these women around me said, well, yeah, you need to be, it, it was clear uh -huh. to me at that point that nobody else was going to take, take the lead. And if it was going to happen, it was something that I just had to do. However, those women around me were clearly very, um, strong, very smart, very committed people. So I almost feel like it had just evolved organically that I became the leader because there were people there, um, that were just alongside me. I, I almost feel like it was a group led project, um, mm -hmm. as much as it was me, um, leading it. And so I think that it just happened. Um, and yeah, the people, the, those five other women were so integral to everything that happened. So when, when people talk about organizing something, I think that that for me anyway, was key was finding a group, a small group of people willing to be as committed as the leader to making it happen. So the, the makeup of the team, or perhaps even prior to that, having a team, you would say is an essential part of the process. And once you have the team, then having the right kind of people who are all kind of pulling in the same direction. Yeah. For me, anyway, I just, and because, as you said, I didn't have any experience doing this before, um, it just would have not happened if, if I hadn't had that team with, and, and each person on that team, um, had a particular, or most of them had some particular things that they could offer connection 
one of the largest things um, or biggest assets were their connections to the community. We had several um, women in that group that who had been um, leaders or involved in the community in pretty substantial ways for a very long time. So um, that was extremely helpful as we went forward to get sort of a, a buy-in from the, the community at large. Wouldn't have been what it was unless you know people thought that um, it was an important thing and that we had credibility in terms of pulling it off in a way that people felt comfortable with. Well, yeah, you really tapped into something here in Louisville, uh, a, f- a feeling about where the trajectory of history was moving. And I want to be, I want to be really clear about the fact that when I said, you know, why did you think you could do this? Uh, it was out of sheer awe. Um, I mean, I'm really amazed at, uh, what you were able to do, uh, in such a short time. In fact, I would venture guess that with all of the sort of rallies and, and marches and so forth that I've been involved with, that was that was the best organized rally that I've ever been associated with. Uh-huh. It was really quite something. Thank you. Um, you know, I think that well, some, I was involved with a couple rallies after that, and um, even though six weeks sounded like very little time for me, I think in hindsight, compared to some of the other rallies that I'd been involved with, it was actually a a fairly large span of time. So I guess we've had that in our benefit. And then, um, and then, so, you know, finding that core team was huge, but then expanding, we were able to expand that core team to, um, a little bit of a larger core team and also find people um, for roles that were extremely important and those people who were very committed and very um, talented at that level too. So there was like this core who were, were sort of steering the ship. We actually ended up sort of in the last few days, somebody coined us as the mothership. And so that's um, wow. what we became. But then beyond that, that core mothership were another layer of extremely important people who also made that happen and, and took um, our mission and vision and turned it all into details um, that I, so that I think for somebody thinking about this is, is just finding key people who, who are really, really committed to um, having the time and the talent and the energy to making something happen. In, it, well, it, since this time, well, a lot of there's been a lot of uh, water under the bridge, uh, politically, culturally. Have you thought about doing organizing another event? And if so, uh, what kinds of issues might prompt you to go ahead and put yourself out there again? You know, I'm not sure. Like I said, I think it was just such an earthquake that made that happen. Um, I don't, I hope there's not another earthquake like that one. Indeed. Indeed. Um, In terms of organizing another very, very huge event, I don't know, Derek. I think that that would just, it, it, it just would have to happen. Right now, where I think I am personally in terms of my, um, 
energy and interest is more, um, more like what I wanted to do from the beginning was be boots on the mm-hmm. ground and, um, and help others. But I probably my focus in the future will be um, voter registration, voter turnout, that kind of thing, which probably won't be organizing a large, a large piece. Although I, I'm an educator at heart, so I guess what I'm doing right now really is it makes me feel good. Like maybe I can help somebody figure out how best to do that. And I could see myself, you know, helping in that, in that way as well. Although, you know, who knows if something else huge comes along, I may end up (laughs) doing something bigger. We'll see. Right. I mean, in, in, uh, late October of 2016, you probably couldn't have imagined yourself doing what you did. Uh, it just sort of evolved. Yeah. And as I look back, I honestly didn't know that I had that ability to organize something like that. Although I, when I say that, I just, I also realized that it wouldn't have happened without about 10 key people around that, that just made it happen. And, you know, people just sort of, there were some amazing people that like in the last well, I wanted to say two months, but that, that six weeks sort of seems like it slowed down. So it was almost this large amount of time. So it was probably in the last four weeks, one particular woman came out, uh, just started contacting me and she became this person who I could call for any little detail that needed mm. to be happen to, to happen. And it wasn't like we had, we had assigned roles for everybody and assigned, if you will, committees. And so there mm-hmm. were, there were things that were really well delineated, but then when you organize something this large, there are always the little things that come up every day. It's like, oh my right. gosh, we forgot about this. We forgot about that. And I had <clears throat> several people that I could call and say, could you look into this? Could you? And people who would just say, be like, okay, you got it done. Don't think about it anymore. So when I think about fun- telling somebody how to do this is having some key people that are like that. I don't know even what, what you call them. Like on a film set, is there a name of a person who's just the... the the go-to person. Oh, like anything? the showrunner or something yeah, like that. Like, yeah, I don't know. Well, let me ask you some practical questions. Uh, starting with, how did you decide on the location to hold a rally? And did you have to secure permission to use that location? Right away, because of time constraints, I went. Well, we, when we talked with the, um, with the group, with a small group, the mothership. We, we at first were talking about a march, which was, of course was what was happening in D.C. And mm-hmm. then I, I went to our city hall, who has an um, office for large events. So that's where I went, and I'm sure any city hall has that kind of thing, and discussed permitting. And it became clear that a march was going to involve a lot of departments across the city. Um, and so at that point, they were saying six weeks could be tight to get approvals because you had to have approvals from department A and department B and C and um, and some of those were intersecting kinds of things. So if one department did it, the other one could consider it. And at that point we decided to make it a sure thing that we would just have a rally rather than a march. Now, since then, after that, there were several marches and I believe they were organized in shorter periods of time. So when I look back, I think, how did they do that? I don't, I don't know whether they um, just did it <laughs> right. or whether, but for us, 
I was trying to make sure that it was going to be able to happen. So we chose to go just to a rally and we scoped out a couple of places and the particular place that we chose um, had a large square that was off the street. Um, so we thought that could hold, we were, you know, thinking 300 to 500 people at that point when we figured that could hold that. And it was in a city hall. So it had large stairs going up with a mm-hmm. big sort of platform at the stairs. And we're envisioning, okay, great visibility for speakers and musicians. So it was a matter of looking. And then um, we also found that there was an electrical outlet on the side. We didn't know if we could use it, but all those different things seemed like it would be a better location. We looked at a park location, which would have meant bringing in generators and um, other things. So, um, and plus the other thing, I guess we thought about in this location was thinking about visibility. Okay. So you right. think about having a, a rally, you want it to be as visible as possible. You want it to be easy for people to see who are just going by. You want it easy for media, all kinds mm-hmm. of things. Well, tell me a, a little bit about the permits and, uh, insurance um, for those kind of things, because that's something I think that people who think about perhaps organizing a rally or, or, or a march don't have first on the list of things that they need to think about, but it was something that you uh, wound up having to think about. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was because we got, you know, we arranged the permit right away. And in the, let's see if I even, I think I found a copy of it. It was fun looking at all of this. I believe in the permit, you know, you you have a sponsoring organization, and then um, which was at the initial um, signing of this permit, me personally. And, um, and then there was a listing for a security person, which one of the other women said, okay, I'll sign that for right now. And both of us had hoped that we would find someone else because it does mention in the permitting, you know, some liability for things. And, um, so we looked into, we started reaching out to anyone and everyone we could think of to see if we could find an organization that would be willing to be the um, rally sponsor. Because we were so new, people were like, well, who are you? What are, what's your mission? You know, is this, is this political? That became a big issue for us. Of course, a lot of rallies and marches are political. So then, then you have organizations that at that point, there were a lot of organizations and they still are really concerned about their funding because of the change in the political climate. So they're like, okay, we don't want to sponsor something that's going to endanger our political funding. Um, And then we did simultaneously look into event insurance. So we found Mm -hmm. some um, insurance companies that had that particular kind of thing. So we had that information available and then eventually we found a local church that was willing to be our sponsor. And um, that took that. That was actually in the last like week before the rally. It was really Indeed. a relief, really a relief for me. Um, and I don't know what other, other, I think a lot of, there was a lot of, um, there was a, a lot of communication between the rallies all across the country at that point and mm-hmm. a lot of communication about that particular issue. And I think a lot of them, people just ended up taking on that risk themselves, the organizers. And I was very, very fortunate to have this local church 
be willing to step up and be the sponsor. And I'm very grateful. I don't know whether I can mention them or not. Yeah, that's fine. So it was the um, Douglas Boulevard Christian Church here in Louisville that was willing to be the event sponsor for us. Well, I know those some of those people there. <laughs> yes, <that laughs> There's some good folks there. there. And, <laughs> and uh, my um, my mothership was and will be eternally grateful for your church's support and that. And it turned out to be a wonderful, um, peaceful event. And oh, and the other thing when we talk about, I guess, permitting and insurance and security um, was here in Louisville. We have a um, group of um, peacekeepers, a peacekeeping group that's been around for many years yes. and their sole purpose is to um, provide um, a peaceful pro- provide. Hmm, oh, I wish I had read um, Sam's recent mission statement to provide a peaceful rally and to provide people who can watch for things that might create less than a peaceful rally. We're not security. They're not security forces, but they are, um, people who will try and keep a tenor of, of goodwill going and that kind of a thing. And I think that helps, that helps, um, with finding a sponsor too, because we, 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 from the get go had an intent and some kind of, um, you know, organization that was going to help us keep things on a good level playing field. Thinking back on that time, there was an open question about what kind of opposition uh, that the the rally might face. And so the issue of security was uh, of paramount importance. And I know that the peacekeepers, they act as de-escalation agents. Yes, exactly. That's the word I was looking for. Yep. So you would you would suggest that people think through the the implications of having a uh, a security presence of some sort, not necessarily armed or anything like that, but to think about what kinds of opposition that they might face and and how it is that they want to handle that situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and we were just fortunate that there was a existing group of people here in Louisville that had experience doing that. And the other thing that they do is they coordinate with the local law enforcement. So there's a communication happening there. So if there's something that these peacekeepers feel is a potential larger problem, then they are able to deescalate. Then there's, there's somebody on the ground who is, um, able to communicate that with the authorities, right, right. Quickly Uh and efficiently and, yeah, keeps everything going well. And so that was something that I could just hand off to the head peacekeeper. And I, as the lead organizer, did not have to be thinking about that piece of things at all. Yeah. Somebody showing up and making a, a huge scene or something like that, that I, yeah, I had to alleviate some of the tension for you, I'm sure. Yeah. How did you go about scheduling speakers and musicians? What were the kinds of things you thought we need to have these kinds of people uh, represent these communities. Uh, what was what was the thought process behind that? I, that that happened right at the be- right at the beginning of our um, you know our group meetings with the the small team. Just just thinking of every kind of organization in the community that had a had a stake in the new administration's sort of way of approaching 
things. And so we just, we just started sent, well, I guess, um, one of the first things we did after, after having the buy-in from this small group, we decided to have a community meeting where we invited, um, we, we brainstormed a list of every organization, um, or church or social organization, community organization. Mm -hmm. And we invited everyone to a large meeting at our local, um, library, um, mm -hmm. to have input on, on what, we, what we were doing. And so that started with just asking for buy-in, asking for input. And, um, and then after, after that, then we created, um, several different committees. I hate that word working groups, I guess we call sure. them. Um, and one was speakers and one was music. And, um, because we'd already asked for, um, the community to come, we had a lot of people already who were aware who then could get the word out to the people who weren't there. And it was, um, we started using social media pretty quickly as well. Um, so we, you know, we were emailing word of mouth, social media, you know, just blitzing as much as we could to get the word out as much. And then, um, and then, you know, we had committees of people who were tasked with communicating with potential speakers. Then once we sort of got a sense of who was more interested, then we kind of curated, okay, how do, you know, we wanted to have speakers representing different kinds of groups, different perspectives, different, you know, sitting down and looking at what we wanted the whole sense of things to be. And then the same thing with music. Put together such a great lineup of speakers. And uh, I know that uh, uh, Congressman John Yarmouth was there. and Yeah, and that was, that was just a, I mean, that happened in the last probably three days before the rally and I think was responsible for probably doubling the attendance of the rally at, at that point. And John Yarmouth decided and made public that he was not going to attend the inauguration and that he was going to attend the rally to move forward. And, um, literally our, our Facebook responses, um, to the event went through the roof at that point. <laughs> so, you know, I think that's, that's one of those things that you can't, you know, you know, of course he was invited and our mayor was invited. And at first our mayor wasn't even going to come. And then as the event got bigger and bigger and bigger, he decided he was coming. And, um, so, um, that, you know, there are certain things that you cannot control for. The other thing we did find very, very early through a connection with one of the women on our mothership was a really talented, um, MC for the event. So we had somebody for the day of the event, the event who just wove everything together so beautifully that, mm -hmm. um, that, I think that's really important as well is right. Is, you know, he was involved at, you know, at a organizational level from the beginning. So he had a sense of what we were looking for, what, what kinds of things were important. And, and he really had a belief that, um, and he pushed us toward things that we to consider things that were important as well. So I would say that's something that's really key in having a, a day that really works well, the event itself. So there's sort of like, there's when you, when I sit down and think about this all, there was all of the pre-planning, all of the PR, all of the planning, the musicians, all of that. And then there's the whole day and making sure that goes well as well. So mm -hmm. there's almost like two discrete kinds of pieces of this puzzle that take both take enormous 
um, organization and effort. And did you have someone, uh, a working group who was responsible for not only social media, but tapping into traditional media? Yeah. So one of the uh, mothership people, Patty was in charge. She, she's, um, has a, um, ad agency here in town and she was, um, in charge of, of coordinating the whole PR piece of it. So she, you know, coordinated our print stuff. She created the logo. She, um, did all the social media and then had a contact who was a local media person who did the traditional media kind of stuff. So she helped us get press releases out. She had, you know, got opportunities for interviews on local TV, um, and that kind of thing. And then, and then the, the mothership Patty PR person also coordinated with photographers, you know, she did the whole thing. And then Hani did the local media thing with radio and TV, um, kinds of spots. Um, and you know, when I think back, um, to, is there anything that I wish we could have figured out better in terms of PR or outreach or whatever, there's a whole huge segment of people who aren't on social media. When you do, when you do something in with such a small amount of time, that's such an efficient way to get a large number of people aware, but it does leave out a large segment of people as well. And, um, so, you know, I guess that's something that I wish we had 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 someone who was in charge of non-social media PR. I mean, we did have the traditional media, so we had some TV and some radio. But unless you're watching mm-hmm. TV at that very moment, you're not going to know that. Um, you know, and we did, we, we had talked about um, an op-ed and that never happened. And um, so your podcast on how to write an op-ed would be very interesting to me. Um but, but I wish in hindsight we had thought about the non-social media people and how to, how to find them more efficiently, effectively. That's a good point. Um, we deal with that here in church, and I suspect that other nonprofits deal with that, that social media is a real boon to us in that it is largely free and fairly pervasive, but it does leave behind some folks who are not necessarily in, in, in engaged with it. So uh, to think about how it is that you reach those people uh, takes some extra intentionality. Exactly. Well, and it may be, I mean, I, now with everything that's going on, there are even people who are social media savvy people who are like deciding intentionally to leave social media. So it's not just right. the people who are not tech savvy, it's people who are intentionally deciding to do that. So I think this question is going to be even larger as we move forward. Like, how do you do, how do, you do these things without social media? That's a good point. I mean, there are people who are disgusted with the social media uh, privacy uh, mm-hmm. problems that they've just decided to opt out. In our current environment, uh, things are becoming, let me put it this way, the way things stand right now, there are so many issues that come at us so quickly. They just pop up, it seems, day after day after day. And some of them prompt a kind of cataclysmic sense in in people and think, I need to organize. I should do something. I'd like to do something. So if, if you were to sit down with a person who wanted, for example, to protect the job of Robert Mueller, mm-hmm. <laughs> who was going to do a, a, organize a, a rally or something like this, 
what would you tell them? Like I said before, I think the biggest thing I would tell them is to find five or six people who want to do this with you. Because I, I think uh-huh. that to have a, a really successful event, you have to have a team because I don't think it's something that one person can do. And I was so lucky to have such a wonderful team of people who were um, not only talented, but committed. I think that's the other thing. I think you can find people who say, yes, I want to be there. I want to do this. But then you end up doing their piece also. So I think making sure that you have a commitment for the amount of time and for the amount for Um, what needs to happen, I think is huge. I think that would be my biggest thing. And then, you know, when I think back, I I guess this is getting a little ahead of your question, but I think willing Mm -hmm. to be flexible is really important. And to like, for instance, when we thought we were going to do a march, but we ended up saying, okay, we need to do a rally because of just time constraints and permit constraints. And just to be flexible and and not sort of set on what exactly it is that you or how you're, it's going to happen. I think that will end up with more success. And then at the end, I think that when it happens, you have to be flexible too and how you run the whole thing. You've got weather constraints, so you have to be able to be Mm -hmm. flexible there. I, I went to a few rallies after, after our rally that I felt toward the end, just kind of fizzled people started leaving the weather was bad or it had gone on too long and when I watched those things I thought you know the the organizer should have ended in with a bang it should have you know if it needed to end an hour before it said it was going to it would have been more effective it would have been more it would have left people with a really good feeling it would have left the media with a really good sense instead of media showing up and there's 50 people and there were a thousand there earlier. Um, that's something that when I look at what's happened since the election, um, I would say to people who are organizing is have, have a sense of how you want it to start and how you want it to end. And if you need to end sooner, then you do that because you want it to be powerful. Is there something you would tell people to avoid knowing what you know now about organizing an event like this is there something that people from the outset should avoid doing before you start getting too many people involved i think having a really strong sense of your mission and vision and and this is the opposite of what i said a second ago but um but having a good sense of who you are and what you are and why and then and then rolling with that we had some internal stuff that we had to go through, I think, because we weren't as a hundred percent clear on that at the beginning. So I think, I think clarity of, of what your mission is like creating a mission statement or some similar kind of thing, I think is really important. And then I guess, I don't know if this is really an answer to your question or not. When I was thinking about, you know, what I wish we'd done differently, I guess it was so intense for for this group of people that were really the organizers, the, the mothership, and then the next group. So we were about, you know, 12 people or so that we made a decision not to become an organization, an ongoing organization. Mm-hmm. And we had some, um, we had, you know, the ally network, which you, and, um, I can't remember your other organizer created Kristen. Um, and yeah. so that was an ongoing piece, but I wish that we had, um, from the very beginning, had another working group that would have been the future 
of the rally to move forward. Just sort of maybe a group that would would keep um, a um, not a presence of our group, but a follow up of, and that could have been done in many different ways. But I think in hindsight, I wish I had included that from the very beginning. I really liked what you said about both the necessity of maintaining a certain vision, a certain mission uh, at, at the core, being uh, clear about that, but within the confines of, of, uh, uh, of that kind of vision, being flexible as to how it expresses mm-hmm. itself uh, is is a, is a wonderful kind of paradox. Uh, there's a tension between remaining who you are, but also being able to uh, to adapt mm-hmm. to the situations that you face. You said that much better than I did, but I agree wholeheartedly. No. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I was trying to say. Yes, that. No. Yes. No, I, I think that's really good. I hadn't thought about it that way before, but I think that's that's very helpful. Uh, all of this, Jill, I think has been extraordinarily helpful, and, and I and I believe that people will uh, find this to be a good resource when they start to think about whether or not they feel compelled to step out into the public arena and organize a rally or a march because they want their voice to be heard. And uh, you've given some, uh, I think, some invaluable. Uh, insight into that. Thanks. I hope it's helpful. Um, I just, you know, it, I, again, I just need to sort of end with this would not have happened without a key group of people and to, who helped organize the whole thing. And then some really talented speakers and musicians and sound people. And it was just such an amazing team effort. And, um, I will be eternally grateful for, um, for all of that and, um, and all of those people. Well, I'm grateful to you for taking the time to talk to me today and uh, giving us the benefit of the wisdom that your experience <laughs> has provided you. So thank you. Thanks, Derek. I want to thank my guest, Jill Morey, organizer of the Rally to Move Forward. And I want to thank you for tuning in to Community of Resistance. Until next time.